All right, well, thank you, ladies. Now turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5 as we continue on uh, looking at this amazing book where what God has really brought to bear in, in time after time as we've been going through Galatians is, is the truth that uh, salvation from our sins and the penalty of our sins only comes as a gift from him when we entrust ourselves to him, when we believe in him, that Jesus has in fact come as God the Son in human form and has borne the punishment for every single person and then rose victorious to show that that, that was completed and that was accepted. It's not any good deed that we can do that gives us salvation, but in fact it all has to be a gift received by entrusting ourselves, believing in Him. And we've spent many chapters where Paul's talked about we're not under the law, it's not keeping the law, it's not being circumcised that makes it possible for a person to be saved, to have a relationship with God. And that's what the people had been taught by these teachers who'd come in after Paul saying, well, it's, it's, it's okay to believe in this in Jesus, but, but first, men have to be circumcised. First, you have to keep the, the Jewish law. First, you, you do. And Paul says, no, it's all a free gift, and that is the only way to salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. We are, no, we are as Jew, Jewish people who believed, we're no longer under the law. Gentiles did not have to be, submit themselves to the Old Testament law. And Paul brought that to us in a multitude of different ways. And that again brings us to the question we began to address last week. Well, if we're not under the law, how do we know how to live? How, how do we know what to do, what not to do? And he begins to address that here in chapter 5 as we began in verse 13. As he again says, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not let turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then he says, to walk by the Spirit. There, there's the key. Here's, here, here's what the alternative is. Walk by the Spirit. And, and just as we get started, I just want to say that sometimes it's hard to get past the religious-sounding talk and words of a sermon to the practical daily living that the Bible wants us to have. And sometimes there has to be something of a general nature to a setting like this where I'm, I'm, I'm up here speaking to a lot of different people in different circumstances and situations but because how these truths work out are going to be different in one person's life than in another person, the key to passages like the one we come to today is to extend it beyond the general that I'll speak about and get it into your own life and to the kind of person that you tend to be and the kind of desires that you live with, the things that tend to take you down the wrong paths, uh, the, the things that, that impact you in your walk with the Lord, and take these things and say, okay, how, how does this fit with my particular situation? What is it God wants me to do in specific with my life? 
And what does this walking by the Spirit look like for me? Because there's certain parts of it that look exactly the same for all of us, but the way it works out into the details of our lives is going to be different. And I encourage you to be asking, Lord, well, how, how am I to be better walking by the Spirit? How am I to be doing this life that you've given me? So I just want to take a little bit of time to review some of those concepts that we looked at last week, that idea of walking by the Spirit, because if we're not under the Old Testament law, how do we live this life? How do we know what to do and what not to do? I mean, doesn't it just open up the door for people to just do whatever feels good or right to them, even if it isn't? And I just want to reiterate that idea that we found in verse 16, where he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Having warned us not to let the flesh have an opportunity, have a place of operations, here he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That, that idea of a walk being a continual thing, it's an intimate relationship that Paul's talking about here with God by the Holy Spirit. It's a present tense verb, which in the Greek means it's an ongoing thing. And that's, that's the key here. It's the pattern of life where we are engaged with God, the Holy Spirit is directing our thoughts and our actions, our direction. So it's by this relationship that we're directed in our daily actions and priorities rather than a list, rather than a legal set of things, do this, don't do that. When we learn what matters to him by having his words, which he inspired completely at home in us as we live day by day. And you remember we, we picked that up from Colossians chapter 3, 16, where Paul writing to the Colossians says the same thing to them that he had said to the Ephesians, but he used these words. He told the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. He told the Colossians, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So how do we walk by the Spirit? Well, a big part of it is, is that we have to, practically speaking, make very important the words that the Holy Spirit inspired and recorded and preserved for us in the Bible. We need to spend time reading, memorizing, contemplating, studying these words together. I mean, it's good to study by ourselves, but I don't know about you, but I, I learn so much more when I get together with other believers who are also in the Word, and, and we work that out and what it means and, and how it, it fleshes out for us, and also different perspectives and information that my brain just can't hold it all, right? And so it's good for me to have other brothers and sisters in that mix talking about what did God mean when he said this, but then what does it mean in my life? And then we need to take, take that time to evaluate our thoughts and our patterns. What's my life look like? What are the things I live for? What are the things I do without ever really thinking about them? If you think that you're walking by the Spirit, but you have no time 
to get to know him through the word that he's inspired, you're probably just fooling yourself. The two go together. They're inseparable. That's his idea, not mine. And then the test of how close you walk comes when those strong desires come up. The ones that once ruled you when you were without Christ. The ones that, that life just went along and that you did that because that's what you wanted and you'd worked out a way to get what you wanted. Do, do those still rule you? Well, walking by the Spirit cuts short the route to those desires being completed because he's there and he's known. If you remember what it said there in, in, back in verse 13 of chapter 5, he says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So there's the two parts there, right? Yes, you're free, but don't make that just an opportunity for your old desires that were yours without Christ to just jump in and, and take over, to get a foothold, to get a place of op, base of operations. Don't let that be what your freedom becomes used for. But in fact, let it be used for, through love, serve or be a slave to each other, to one another. Because your, your old patterns of, and habits of sin are, are going to look for an opportunity. <laughs> they're, they're still in there. Yes, you're in Christ, but you did those things. They, they dug a deep groove, and it's just going to be so easy to slide back into that old groove. And the thing about indulging your sinful habits is it doesn't fit with walking by the Spirit. No, that's such a great picture. You on the journey with the Holy Spirit right there with you. And you talk, and you... And you you visit over life. You visit over what's important to him, to, the, to God. And that is what directs your heart and your direction. And, say, and, and, and I, do I want to do something that's really offensive to my partner that's walking along with me? Do I want to do what goes against him? That's really the essence of sin. The essence of sin is going against the character and the will of God. So it just makes no sense that being so closely related daily to him, that we would go against him just to fulfill this desire that I have pop up. And so he says, don't, don't let a base of operation for your lusts and desires get established just because you're free from the law. No. If you walk with the Spirit, it cuts off those desires. They come up, and what happens? Oh, oh, my, my closest companion here. God, the Holy Spirit, who, who is helping me with my relationship with the Father and the Son. It doesn't make sense for me to follow through on that strong desire that's popped up because the relationship is too important. And as I've gotten to know him, it says, why would you go there? It's, it's not good for you. It doesn't hurt you. And it's against this one that is my closest companion and friend and guide. And so that's how those 
old patterns, those old ruts that come from our desires are able to be, get, to, to be cut off. That's kind of the general way that that's painted out. But now Paul wants to take us when we get down into verse 18 and verse 19. Verse 18 says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In other words, you're led by what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. And then 19 starts to get into the nitty-gritty. And he says, now the deeds of the flesh, that inner, inner desires, those inner patterns of doing the things that are not in keeping with who God is, the deeds of the flesh are evident. And now he starts to list them, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing, things and things like these, which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to continue. We're, we're just going to start into the specifics a little bit today. But I want you to know it goes beyond in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now we're just going to spend our time, remaining time, at the beginning of verse in, or in verse 19 and the beginning of verse 20. Lord willing, we'll have time to get that far. But you notice that he here calls the, it's the deeds of the flesh or the works of the flesh. What kind of deeds and things does that, that inner part of us have where the, those grooves toward our pet sins, our pet desires have been? But you notice it does say it's the deeds of the flesh, not the fruit of the flesh, but it says it's the fruit of the Spirit. And I have to think about that a little bit. Why is it the deeds? Why isn't it the fruit of the flesh? And I'm not sure how good of a conclusion this is, but it makes sense to me. But fruit requires life. And when we come to Christ, Paul tells us in other places, particularly Romans, it says the deeds of the of the flesh have been put to death. The flesh has been put to death. Well, you don't have fruit from something that's dead, do you? And so these, this first section, talking about the, the deeds of the flesh, is this is what's sprouting up out of things that are dead. This is what's coming as a, as a, uh, a reason that we follow after stuff that we should be leaving behind in the grave. And he starts off with deeds of the flesh. And this is, by the way, it's not an exhaustive list either. It's a pretty good, pretty extensive list, but it's not exhaustive. There are other areas of the flesh. So if we didn't hit on the ones that, in, the, in that list that really get after you, don't worry. God included those in the part and such things as these. But he starts off with deeds of the, of the flesh that are related to sex. 
I think he starts there because it's always been an issue. Clear back to the, the fall. But it's so harmful. It's so harmful to the people who sin in this way and the people who are around them in their lives. Those first three deeds of the flesh that he says are immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Uh, These three words describe where we go when we live according to the desires of our flesh. Immorality is a a translation of the Greek word uh, porneia, which is a general word for sexual sin. It's where we get our, our English word pornography. And so it has to do with all kinds of sexual sin. It's a general one, and it includes pornography. Uh, Impurity, the second one, uh, gets at the idea of mixing pollutants into something that is good. And, you know, the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife God designed to be good to be a powerful thing in in binding them together. But when we begin to mix sinful thoughts and ideas outside of God's plan into that, it becomes impure. And I think that's why we speak of sexual jokes and someone whose thoughts are always running in that line as dirty. Because they're mixing in things that don't belong with this amazing gift that God has given us within the marriage relationship. And then third word, sensuality, or if you have King James or or some of the other versions, they use the word debauchery. And that's just pointing at unrestrained sexual sin without shame. And I think as we see, especially see the first two become more prevalent in our world, we see the third one, that unrestrained sexual sin without shame. In fact, some even with great pride flaunt their sexual sin. And we're characterized by these kind of things when our fleshly desires rule instead of walking by the Spirit. See, Jesus made it clear that that's where those things begin. They begin with a desire that's out of line with the one who loves us, who created us, who sent a Savior for us, and now wants to walk along with us, helping us to know him. If we walk by the Spirit, you stop and think about sexual sin. If the Holy Spirit is directing our walk with Christ, our walk with the Father, our walk through this world as we live, does it make sense to violate the design that he put into creation to start with? We're walking with the creator. Can we live and order our lives according to the will of the one who made us and be pursuing sexual pleasure simply for the sake of pleasing our flesh? See, God made and designed us as sexual beings. He made this physical union really only for the marriage relationship. One man and one woman bound together in covenant for life. It's a thing of great blessing, and it flows from the relationship with our Creator. He said, this this is a gift for you. In fact, if we go back to the beginning, we can see how he, he started things. 
Back to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And this is a topic, of course, we could expand out through the Scripture in, in a lot of ways. But I want us to just, let's see how, what God did when he began uh, the, the creation of man. Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So you can say this is really the first mention of, of sexual relations in that God said, Be fruitful and multiply. I have given you both the gift and the responsibility to multiply and to care for all of this amazing creation that I have before you. Now, in order to do that, I've given you this, this gift of the relationship between a man and a woman that results in more of you existing here on the earth. And so it starts out with that purpose. It creates children. But also, if we go to chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, right after God has fashioned Eve from the rib that he's taken out of Adam, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So everything here about the marriage relationship speaks of a designed intimacy. The man was created, but he needed a helper. He needed someone to be his partner to work together with him. And so God created one that was not only like him, but actually came from him. But someone who was a helper because she brought strengths to the relationship and to the work that they had to do together that he didn't have. But also, when it says that the, it was joined to his wife, it's that idea of being literally being glued together. And as I usually mention at weddings and did this past week, you know, when, when you make a really good wood glue joint, you can't break the, the glue. You have to break the wood. That's the kind of close, intimate union that we're talking about here. And when used as intended, the sexual relationship helps that, the practical outworking of that intimate, close relationship. It creates an amazingly strong unit and the basic building block of community and society. It's in that relationship of oneness that God gave that gift to be used as a part of that unity, that oneness. Is it very pleasurable? Yes, it's very pleasurable. But it's for a particular purpose. Not just because I want it, because I like the way it feels. It's designed for that. 
In fact, it's designed related to relationship. And that's where our problem is, is we get wrapped up in the pleasure and the desire of it, and we forget that God designed it for this binding together relationship that should never be pulled apart. Because pleasure, yes, certainly is involved in sexual interaction. And that's part of what makes it create the bond, though. And when God speaks, speaks about this, the language is about relationship. If you go just up a few, a few chapters beyond to chapter 4, verse 1, up until now, for all we know, there's just been Adam and Eve. But then verse, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Now that opening phrase, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and, and your translation may have various words there for where, where mine has had relations, but in the Hebrew, the word is just the man knew his wife. See, pleasure is there, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is the knowing that's going on in that process. And when gaining a sensation or an experience becomes a substitute for having a closer and closer relationship, you're giving the flesh a base of operations that twists the whole meaning and opens the door for every kind of perversion of God's amazing design that he gave the sexual relationship for. It really gets to the point where people, because of, well, it's about the pleasure. It's about what I like. Now we have people who define themselves by what they like in a sexual experience. And they've forgotten that kind of relationship was given to bond one man, one woman together. And when we're walking by the Spirit, remember verse 13 says we are through love serving one another and loving our neighbor, according to verse 14 of, of Galatians 5, as ourselves, loving our neighbor as ourselves. But when pleasure becomes the main point, it can go any which direction, right? Because you've blocked the creator out. You've said, no, this exists for my pleasure and my desires to be fulfilled. But what about loving your neighbor as yourself? What about through love serving one another? Have you ever applied that to the sexual relationship? It's not designed for what I can get from you. It's designed for me being your servant, me being your slave and us doing that mutually together. It's totally different from what the world's point of view is, which see, sees this as being about what you like, what you get out of it. And I've got to say, for men, this especially comes across for men, as what, what do I get? Or how can I get what I want? And how can a woman give it to me? And as that perversion spreads throughout so many different areas of life, we see why there's so much brokenness in our world. 
We've taken what was an amazing gift from God and saying, oh, we know what to do with this. And God says, no, I, I designed that. I designed it for a particular purpose. And I urge you to use it for your good, to love one another, to serve and bless each other so that you will be a strong unit, a building block for a family. And the family then being the building block for a community which builds strong societies. But if we, we tear it apart down at that beginning level, where does it go? Things begin to fall apart, and we see that all around us in our world. See, God has given us, in the sexual relationship, an amazing tool. It's a powerful tool. And we have to be careful, because when powerful tools are used incorrectly, they destroy. And I've tried over the years to try to think of the best analogy, and I haven't come up with it. Sometimes I've talked about, you know, <clears throat> hammers or saws or drills or things like that. But what, if, if the sexual union is to be part of the glue that holds us together, what if it's more like super glue? You've got to be careful with it, don't you? There are certain places you want to glue things together. But if you just begin using it indiscriminately, you take it out of the context in which it works best, well, you have a lot of pain, don't you? You have a mess and things stuck together that shouldn't be, and things ripped apart painfully because they, should, they, they can't remain together. And, and, and that's just another one of those ways where you have this thing that works so well, so powerfully when it's used in the right context in which it was designed for what it was designed to do. And you take it out of the context, and what do you get? Well, you get things messed up. You get things torn and ruined. And that's what the flesh does to us. It brings out desires that aren't in line with our Creator. And that's why it's so critical to walk by the Spirit. To walk according to His direction. To know the God who made us, who loves us, and who gave us things to benefit us. When we listen to Him... We move along in life in the direction we ought to go. But when instead we do it the way we want and we ignore him, it turns out to be something that God says is not in line with being sons. And that's another key thing. And we're going to jump. We're not going to make it any further down in the list here. But I do want you to jump ahead in your, in your uh, outline to point number four, where it says, not the lifestyle of sons. And go back with me to Galatians chapter 5, at the end of verse 21, after he gets done speaking about all the different uh, deeds of the flesh, he says, I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Who inherits? Well, sons inherit, right? Why do we forget who we are and run after the damaged goods of our sinful world and culture? As sons of God, he provides us with the best perspectives and experiences and training and blessing that can be had 
at this time that we're in. Matter of fact, the fact of being sons was emphasized back in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. If you remember, it says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Who inherits? Well, if we're in Christ, we do, because we have been made sons with all the rights and privileges that even calls us co-heirs with Christ. But he says, if you are practicing, if you are doing the deeds of the flesh, that's not the ones who inherit. I mean, you talk about walking by the Spirit, but also not just walking with anyone, but walking as a son with your beloved Father. It doesn't make sense that you carry out those kinds of practices, those kinds of patterns of living. And the thing is, is when life as we're living it doesn't look like we want, we need to patiently wait for him to do what is best and use this time in this life where things aren't always the way they ought to be as an opportunity for knowing him better and listening to his voice as he tells us, well, here's how you walk through this difficult path. Here's how you walk up this difficult path hill you have to go over, this dark forest you have to make your way through. We listen to his voice rather than saying, no, I want to do what feels good to me. It's about practice. So ask yourself, are you characterized by the things that don't look like you're a son of the Father? See, the answer is to press headlong and with all you are into walking by the Spirit with others who are also walking by the Spirit, because you're not in this alone. Patterns of life don't just change instantly. They require the engagement of your will with His will. And actively joining in with Jesus by His Spirit to the glory of God, with others who are also in that process, that process of not being dominated by the flesh, but instead living as sons who walk by the Spirit with their Father, saturated with His Word so you know Him and know what it is that He is about and what He is like and where He is going. And so in conclusion, let me just simply finish by reading from another passage that addresses this issue. And then next week we'll come back and work our way hopefully a little further down uh, through the list. But turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 14, and just consider these words as we close. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 14. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness... But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit 
who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And Father, we do come to you today, today as we close, and we pray that you would make these things clear in our hearts and our, our minds so that we can order our lives putting you as the first priority, uh, walking, knowing you in our day-to-day -day life as your spirit uh, directs and makes things clear and corrects and even challenges us in our wrong thinking and brings up new understanding within scripture that we didn't understand before, helping us to know what it was you wrote, what you intended and how you want us to to trust you, trust you so that it's the fruit of your spirit that shows in our lives, not deeds of, of our old person that we used to be without Christ. We're so thankful that there's so hope we can leave those behind. And also hope that there is uh, fruit, there is a, something produced by walking by the spirit and having him live within us. Help us to take to, to Appropriate this in a way that we, we, we join you more fully each day in what you are doing, which is for our good, but especially that it's for your glory, which we ask you would, you would show through us. In Jesus' name I pray.